0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week, the gang's going to answer two listener questions. First, where is the bar set for church eldership versus church membership? And secondly, how do pastors and elders wrestle for the direction of the evangelical denomination as a whole and within their church? Let's join in to see how Todd, Carl, and Amy answer these questions.
1: Well, today on Mortification of Spin, we're going to address a number of questions that have been sent in by... Interested listeners who want uh, opinions on topics that have come up during the course of previous programs and upon which they would like some more, I was going to say intelligent comment, oh. but Todd is sitting to my right, <laughs> hey. so some more more or less intelligent comments. Um, Amy, yes, shoot us the first question.
2: Okay, we have a question um, from Troy from California. And I think he wrote this in because we had recently done a podcast on um, elders in the church, and he mentions a YouTube video. Carl, maybe it's a book trailer for the creedal Imperative. I'm not sure. Wow, <laughs> Carl with book
1: trailers. <laughs> book trailer for the movie of the Credo <laughs> <Okay, got> Imperative. <it, laughs> got, got it, got yeah. it. Nicholas Cage is taking the lead right. <laughs> oh, Yeah, good, yeah, good, good, good. Yes. Uh,
2: okay, so anyway, he says that you mentioned that the high a high confessional bar is meant for eldership, and a low confessional bar for church membership. And he wants us to unpack this statement a little more to address the implications of these two bars. So, like, for example, he says, um, what is it that a member of a church does need to agree to or confess Mm -hmm. to become a member? And then, uh, you know, what is it important for them to believe to do different duties in the church, whether it's being a greeter or being in the, the choir or whatever it is that you have there, the worship team? Or to Carl be a Sunday a school troupe, teacher, you know, to play right. an instrument, like all these different things. Mm-hmm. What is it that we need to be thinking about as far as confessional beliefs right. for the membership?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think the the basic distinction I was making there was a, an attempt to show how Presbyterianism, I think, preserves the the New Testament emphasis upon the the high calling of eldership. That to be an elder, one has to to have demonstrated more for want of a better term, competence in various areas of the Christian life and faith than one would require for a member. And in the Presbyterian setup, that means one has to subscribe the the Westminster Standards, or in, in Scotland, the Westminster Confession, which requires considerable and somewhat elaborate theological knowledge. I think we obviously to me it's obvious, I know that some in the Dutch reform tradition might disagree with this, but to me it's obvious that we would not want to require the person who was converted last week to be able to subscribe the Westminster Confession. We would not necessarily expect it because the Westminster Confession contains a, as I mentioned, a level of complexity mm-hmm. and depth that some Christians take many years to to learn and acquire. So, the basic distinction was an attempt to preserve what I think is 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 a biblical distinction between being a member of the church and being an office bearer in the church and and pointing to the the, the criteria for being an office bearer in the church. In terms of what one would require from a member, I think there's no one-size-fits-all answer to that. I remember a friend of mine who had Down syndrome was a member of a church uh, I was involved in in Scotland, and it seemed to me that one would make certain allowances for certain people relative mm. to what they believe and how they're capable of right. expressing it. So there's a certain uh, individual Indeed. judgment involved, right. I think. Uh, the sessions have to use their uh, their approach to church membership with some discernment and with a sensitivity to individual circumstances. But I would say basically you're looking for what I would describe as a credible profession of faith. And that is somebody who knows that Jesus is Lord, knows that Jesus is God, knows that Jesus has died for their sins upon the cross and lives and speaks consistently with that. So for example, um, you know somebody who was openly living in adultery, but was able to to sign up to the doctrinal aspect of what I've said. Clearly, we would want to address the adultery before we we allow them to come into membership, because I think adultery is inconsistent, dramatically inconsistent, with uh, Jesus claiming tickets? Jesus is that Lord. <laughs> speeding tickets. Oh. Um,
3: we, we encourage those.
1: I'm told there are some. Even OPC churches in Maryland that take a very liberal view of speeding tickets. And I, I think the General Assembly could be setting up a, a special committee to yeah. to look into that. Yeah, um,
3: yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, with with your assessment, we we're, we're, we look for a credible profession of faith in Christ. Obviously, we're a Presbyterian Church, and so the the baptized infants of of believers um, who are members of our church are then considered and counted members of the visible church. Yeah,
1: sorry, I was talking. Communicate members. Communicate members.
3: But communicate members, yes, we're looking for a credible <laughs> profession of faith. They're interviewed by two members of the session um, who ask them everything from uh, how did you come to know Christ, explain the gospel to us, um, are there areas of sin in your life that are really working you over uh, right mm-hmm. now, etc. Um, Todd
1: also wants to ask, you know, would you vote for Hillary, Hillary Clinton under <laughs> <of> any circumstances? <laughs> yeah. that, that's a disqualifying <laughs> sin
3: right there. Um, we, we, and, and as a church, we also require that they go through an 11-week um, membership class. And part of that is because what it does is it explains to them our, our doctrine. It explains to them the gospel. And it's interesting because periodically it comes out in a membership class where a person... Uh, it ter- turns out this person actually didn't understand the gospel yeah. they'd never actually heard it articulated and and so we're able to work through some of those issues
1: i did the 3 week part of that course on the genius of todd Pruitt, part 1, <laughs> one two, and 3 at your church very it,
3: interesting uh, we've we've now expanded that to be 4 but weeks those
1: posters you make the kids carry of you that's <laughs> yeah, scary yeah, exactly. man exactly
3: exactly follow the visionary <laughs> follow the vision well, there
2: are membership vows though that absolutely members take so it's yeah. not just that they get up and say yeah i believe that the right. gospel yeah. is true right and
3: and to carl's point which i agree with we, we don't expect a communic a, a communi- ah.
2: communicate
3: we <laughs> we don't expect a communicant member um, to be able to uh, have a full comprehensive grasp of the westminster standards however um, you know, we we do They do make vows to contribute or to, to labor towards the peace and the purity of the church. That means, um, if if they come to a place where they reject, for instance, the doctrines of grace, um, you know, they can be a, a member of our church what about the
2: inerrancy of Scripture.
3: Well, and, you know, that's they. Th- th- that, those are great questions. If they come to a place, if if a member Just came one of to me our vows and said, in the
2: OPC church. R- membership really, vows.
3: membership
1: vows About. doesn't use the term inerrancy. Doesn't use the term.
2: No, okay,
3: use the term yeah. inerrancy. But the Bible. Now, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, my my, my ordination vows in the PCA um, in, in, include uh, inerrancy. But um, w- when you become a member of our church, you have to you have to pledge uh, uh, to, to work towards the peace and the purity of the church. That means you're not going to undermine our doctrine um, uh, and 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 the essentials of our doctrine. Um, you know you need to embrace as you understand well that.
2: here's a question so um, would you put allow somebody let's say who's been at the church for a while they're not a member yet uh, they want to participate in the worship they have those gifts um, as far as leading worship goes or not maybe, in our church you have maybe to be, just playing mm. the guitar no something. you
3: have to be a member of the church okay mm-hmm.
2: how about the greeters
3: um, greeters that's a good question I'm not sure uh, I don't think so. I think you can be an active attender, but but and be a greeter. But I'm but I'm not sure of that. I I try to stay above, you know, all the minutiae, Carl, you wouldn't understand that because you pastor a a smaller, insignificant church. That's but. true.
1: That's true. I think that we, on the whole, our basic rule is membership is required for any position of any kind of responsibility mm-hmm. it's slightly complicated for us because we have a number of Westminster students in our congregation who may hold membership elsewhere because perhaps they're under care elsewhere uh, okay. so that, yeah, again it's the the some flexibility but that would be funneled through the right. session mm-hmm. um, the norm would be we would not want to attach responsibility to somebody who is not a member because we have to be able to hold them accountable. right? And as, as, a really good as point. elders, we are to rule. And how do you rule over somebody who isn't a member of the and church?
2: And that's one of the vows that you take is to be accountable yeah. to the church right. government and right. your right. membership. Yeah.
3: And, and we, we, we're we in a university town. We have about 30,000 university students in our community and we do the same thing. We'll, we'll do a, an arrangement where um, we, we kind of bring them under care if they want to mm-hmm. serve in, children's ministry or youth ministry or some area and uh and they go through a similar process without where they will meet with a, a staff member or an elder but um you know we, we make allowances for certain you know things like that somebody living here temporarily
2: so what about um being a teacher in the church then i mean is that be a just member. well i know you gotta be a member, oh, oh, oh but...
3: well, I, yeah and and we have we have certain standards so if, if you're going to be a teacher for instance you you've you've got to so so in other words you, you can join a, a a PCA church for instance and not you know not a not really affirm uh one of the doctrines of grace like uh uh particular redemption for instance you can be a member of our church mm-hmm. but if you're going to be a teacher in our church you do have to affirm the doctrines of grace mm-hmm. um and and, so, and some of those kinds of things you can be a member of our church and be a baptist we have a num like a lot of presbyterian churches mm-hmm. we have a lot of baptistic members but they can't be an office bearer
2: right so there are some differences when you get to the responsibility of teaching right and what the doctrines that right. the person holds. And
3: I will say, um, we, we have a, a man in our church who's been at the church since its founding in the early 80s, um, who's Baptistic. Um, but he is allowed to teach because he's he gets who we are. He's been at the church from the very beginning. He deliberately joined a Presbyterian church because he's Calvinistic and uh, appreciates so many of the distinctives of a Presbyterian church. And he's also displayed a commitment to the peace and the purity of the church. So he's not going to go in and teach a Sunday school class on baptism, for instance. So there's some case-by-case basis. Absolutely. And and we reserve the right to Mm -hmm. have
2: case-by-case basis. basis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should I move on to our next question? Sounds good. Okay. Robert Campbell. He's a licensed minister of the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster.
1: I know, Robert. Good man. Okay.
2: Hmm. He says church history has many examples of teaching and ruling elders who had to fight for the gospel. Men like W. J. Greer or uh, Gresham Ma- Machen. <laughs> Said that all wrong. <laughs> she doesn't know how to say Machen. <laughs> <laughs> <You> <laughs> catch that. Opie. She's not really an opening. As soon as I'm nah. a microphone,
1: up- I got yeah. a phone head office. We need that. The- oh goodness gracious! Why do you mate? have me reading the questions? <laughs> J. G. M- Machen. <laughs> Machen. See a
0: German. Got
2: to say it like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. While at other times, brethren have wrestled with and for the direction of an evangelical denomination, how should elders act when such controversies are unavoidable or even necessary?
3: Full contact.
2: Full contact. Mm. MMA. Here's the guy who's against <laughs> MMA.
3: <laughs> oh, that. Well, and that—that's a great question. Is there
2: a time for elders to take a stand Absolutely. against pastors?
3: Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, ap- yeah. Th- there, there is a time when, even when, though
2: they're not the teaching, right,
3: and that's one of the. Again, I think that's one of the beauties of Presbyterianism when it's working the way it's supposed to work. So, I, you know, I've I've had to explain to a, to another pastor in, in my community who pastors a Baptistic church, uh, non denominational, and he was kind of wanting to, you know, toying with the idea of of bringing, uh, changing their bylaws so that they allow for elder leadership. What he couldn't grasp. Was the concept, though, that we all have parity as elders? He kept saying, now, now you're up here and they're down here, though, right? And I kept having to explain to him, No.
1: That may just be the way you <laughs> I mean, conduct yourself, <laughs> Todd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, it, it, the way it just you, comes across that this,
3: way. Yeah. No. Yeah, I had to explain to him, No, I, I have one vote. I'm one of the brothers, I'm one of the men. And while we show each other certain levels of deference, considering certain areas of giftedness, um, I have no more authority than any other man in that, in that room. And so therefore, if, if I do something, if I go off the rails in an area, uh, not only can they, but they have the responsibility. That is my brother elders have the responsibility um, to rein me in by whatever means is afforded to them to do so.
1: Yeah, the elders have. I mean, they're ruling the church. They're to right. rule the church, and uh, although they're not to lord it over the pastor, right. the pastor isn't an employee of the elders. Right. Uh, not that you've ever experienced anything remotely <laughs> never. like that. Todd, I've never been in that church kind of situation. Been at. Um, the elders have a responsibility to to hold the pastors' feet to the, feet to the fire. Right. On things, I think as well with the way Roberts pitched the question, he may be thinking on a bigger scale. Yep. When things start to go bad in a denomination. Yep.
0: Machen.
1: Uh, yeah, Machin. You sure it's not Ma- <laughs>
2: It's more the Gresham part that it's I have Gresham, Gresham. trouble with. It's Gresham, actually. <laughs> Gresham. That's, see, that's don't, the don't, part I have
1: trouble with. No, you had a real problem with the, the Machen earlier. You it's said Machin. You definitely said Machen. But,
3: but, but in the United States, I, I, I mean, you, you say schedule, we say schedule. You say
1: Gresham, we say Gresham. Gresham. No, but the Machen people say Gresham. Well, they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so moving right so along, I'm sitting here with I'm sitting here with two people who claim to be Presbyterians and don't know how to pronounce Gresham Machen. Gresham.
0: Uh, you Gresham.
1: Know, if you want Got a it. microcosm Gresham. of all that's wrong with the Christian world in North America, I'm, I'm sitting in it now. Now, I, I think Robert's thinking possibly there of of issues going wrong in a bigger denomination. There I think it is more difficult for elders because, of course, ministers are members of presbytery. Mm -hmm. They have a, all all that Todd has said about parity of office, absolutely agree with, but functionally, Mm -hmm. ministers are members of presbytery, elders are members of the local church. And that means that, generally speaking, the culture of presbyteries and, and general assemblies historically has been more of a dominance of the the ministers. That's true. Because they're the guys with the time and the... The training. The training yeah, and the, the kind education. of constitutional status right. uh, that allows them to, 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 to carry weight. But ruling elders are critical. I mean, you look at the history of the... Church of Scotland, Free Church of Scotland in the 19th century, ruling elders were often critical in some of the debates mm-hmm. that took place there. Hugh Miller, great journalist, did an awful lot to prepare the people of Scotland for the disruption in 1843 through his writings. Uh, other ruling elders were very important in putting together the financial structure for the kind of breaks that took place mm-hmm. in the church. So I would say ruling elders have the same responsibility for guarding the truth, as the ministers do, they may find their calling in slightly different areas right. of the debate though mm-hmm. probably the the intellectual way to the debate is going to be taken by right. the ministers. Right. maybe the organizational way to the debate is sometimes taken by the, the that could elders. be oftentimes
3: and i and I would say so so therefore mm-hmm. um elders, particularly teaching elders, have to be prepared at times if necessary to be a controversialist. Mm-hmm. uh they're going to have to at times uh say things that polite people don't want to hear at a, at a given time i mean uh, i'm a part of a denomination um that that is uh relatively broad i mean people in the PCUSA wouldn't see the PCA as being broad um but but clearly you know we have uh conservatives in the PCA as well as more uh, progressives, what's that going to look like? Uh, what does it look like right now? Well, we've got some controversies right now. What's that going to look like five and ten years from now? Uh, typically, those things get worse over time, and that means that there are a lot of elders in the PCA that are currently trying to decide how am I going to address these issues? Um, how am I going to, you know, when when a a a ministry leader at a PCA church? gets up in front of a national gathering of students and says things that are clearly kind of mocking the pro-life movement, for instance, a position that our denomination has a very clear stated stand on, um, when she gives an interview and says some very troubling things about the doctrine of the Trinity. At that point, then people like myself have to make a decision. Are we going to say something about this? This is a member of one of our churches a staff member mm. on one of our churches. Mm. What are we going to say?
1: Let me sort of turn the question on Amy then at this point and say, you know, let, let's apply this to to members of the church. What do you think about the responsibility of members for the
2: Well, the and that's kind of how I things. was thinking about it when I read the question, too, on a smaller scale locally. Um, you know, I've been in situations where, um, you know, there's been issues with the pastor that have been brought, you know, we as members of the church would bring them to the elders, then, mm-hmm. right? And if the elders aren't willing to, you know, really look at the situation and take a stand for these kind of things and, and deal with it, you know, they got to get their hands dirty there. Right. They like the guy; he's a respectable guy. You don't want to cause trouble. Um, if the pastor kind of maybe says one thing and does another, mm-hmm. or just plain doesn't do anything, what do they do then? And so, um, you know, I've seen—I have a lot of respect for the elders in the church, and I expect them to, to then take leadership right. there. And I've seen times where it really hasn't mm-hmm. happened, and it's disappointing, and then you feel like they're, that they're pretty much yes-men in some right. ways. So you don't want—you mm-hmm. that. You know, they have to take the hits for their members, mm-hmm. too.
3: Yeah. And it, it's sad that there has to be controversy in denominations, but it's inevitable. And it, one of the things that frustrates me, and I suppose I'm still a little, little naive on this, is that I, I stood before my fellow presbyters and took vows to to God. I took vows before them that I would uphold, that, that I both believe and will teach and uphold um, the doctrine of the Westminster Standards. And uh, the fact is, um, there are people who take vows in their denominations or at their seminaries, um, who have a very much a wink, wink approach to the vows that they take. Um, uh, whole denominations have seen this happen. Seminaries have seen this happen. Um, and, uh, w- when it becomes clear that that's what's going on, then there has to be somebody willing to be the fly in the ointment and it's no fun. Is it Carl?
1: No, no, that's very true. I think you're, uh, you, you're putting your finger on something that one, uh, I never understand why people don't take vows seriously. Right. Mm. You don't have to take a vow. Exactly. Churches, right. be, you know, you can be a member of society without being a member of the church. Right. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, you, if you're a Democrat, don't join the Republican right. Party. If you're a Republican, don't join the Democratic right. Party. You don't get right. a prison for not being one of those right. things. If, so, if,
3: if you reject historical Adam, don't come to the PCA or yeah. don't try to teach at Westminster. Yeah,
1: you can be – <laughs> honest about right. where you stand, and there's plenty of place for yeah, you. You can teach you at Westmont
3: if you, if you reject its historical Adam. I
1: believe you can. I believe you can. <laughs> Not at Dallas <laughs> Seminary, though. I think, uh, uh, exactly. The center of all conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, that, there's certainly that aspect to it. Um, I also think there's a responsibility then on, on congregations to scrutinize the men brought forward for election to, mm-hmm. to eldership. Uh, when you cast your vote, you're putting somebody into position... In a position of rule and authority in the church, and you have a responsibility to make sure that the person that you're putting in that position Mm -hmm. is sound doctrinally and morally upright, right? So, there's a responsibility for congregants at that level Mm -hmm. as well, I think. The other thing you're pointing to, I think, in your comment as well, you know, by and large, you don't want people as elders who enjoy conflict, right. But on the other hand, conflict is necessary. Yes, mm-hmm. And that, I think, is where a lot of it How goes wrong in that mm-hmm. guys who don't like conflict, they're the ones you want as elders, but right. you still need them to do it when it's necessary. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And finding the people who have the balance to do that is yeah. hard. And that's where I think often a team is good, because mm-hmm. if you've got four or five guys, I certainly noticed this on my own session, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And if we listen to each other and allow ourselves to be guided by each other, then the session as a whole, I think, operates yeah. well in a way that no individual member of the session would embody yeah. all of the character traits necessary to rule the church right. appropriately.
3: And, you know, you wonder, you wonder what would have happened uh, to the PCUSA if back in the 20s and 30s some of the personally Orthodox men... Who were too yeah. nice yeah. to say anything inconvenient yeah. had actually stood with Machen yeah. and the others. Yeah. You wonder if if the tide had might have gone a, a different direction, and that's oftentimes the problem yeah. in denominational and seminary conflicts. Is is oftentimes the liberals or the compromisers aren't as big of the problem yeah. as the personally orthodox but mm-hmm. too polite to fight that's men. Such a good and point. we are sick yeah. because mm-hmm. of the number. Of the personally orthodox, but too polite to fight. Well,
2: and even in the local church, I think sometimes that's just, well, you know, the pastor may have a doctorate. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been to seminary and, and just feeling a little more insignificant.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sitting in a meeting where, if we put it this way, the good guys took a real drubbing. Yeah. And looking around the room and realizing that the good guys in terms of convictions were clearly in a majority. Right. But leaning over to my friend who was sitting next to me and just whispering in his ear, I said, "Tonight, the, calv- the cavalry ain't coming." Right. You pronounced that wrong at first. Just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't
2: right. you know how to right. pronounce cavalry? Yep. And, and I'll tell you. It, and and Can't any get the staff
3: and any <laughs> any pastor or person who's been in that position, the, the guy who's willing to step out and be the fly in the ointment, knows what it's like to be met on that field. By far fewer men than you thought would be oh, there yeah. with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, lonely I, place to be. Yep, very lonely place to be. I've been there. Truman's been there. And it is not fun. It's not glamorous. I've been there as a member of a Exactly. the yeah. yeah. so,
2: It's, it's Exactly, yeah.
3: not, It's not glamorous. I mean, we read about the men who did that, but when you're going through it, it is not fun. It's not glamorous.
2: Even you people it, saying, like, I agree yeah. with you. I'm just over. not going to yeah. say anything.
3: Right.
1: When Amy turned up for a last speeding fine, none of those character witnesses showed <laughs> <Nobody. as laughs> up. on that behalf. Nobody. nobody. But, but,
3: you know, you, I, I, I do. I think about Paul writing to Timothy when he was talking about uh, the trials that he went through uh, that, that Luke describes later on in Acts. And he says, no one... Came and yeah. stood by me, mm-hmm. and and they were mm-hmm. there. The, the The elders of the, the Jerusalem Church were there, but they none of them mm-hmm. came out to stand. And even by Even
2: Christ, him. you know, during the crucifixion, so. it's the women who mm-hmm. stayed.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But let's not make this a feminist Just issue. Just wanted to point that out. Um. <laughs>
0: uh, so so uh,
3: yeah, great gr- great question there. And the fact is, uh, as long as we're south of heaven, then uh, churches and denominations and seminaries are going to have to at times. Um, be willing to uh, to take up arms, so to speak, um, in, in in the fight for truth. And uh, it, it's always disconcerting and heartbreaking when you look around and find the number of people who who won't do that and who will leave you standing by yourself.
2: Well, I like it that Campbell um, asked that question because he asked that after listening to you guys talking about... Um when there's differences and disagreements between pastors and elders Mm -hmm. and what's the difference between teaching and ruling elders. And that was a really good question to write in and talk about. Mm -hmm. So um, I just want to encourage the listeners, if you have any questions like that or topics you'd like us to discuss, please go ahead and write in on our website, mortificationwithspend.org. You can see where you can email either my email on HousewifeTheologian or um, through the Alliance there. So thanks for listening and we will talk to you next time.
1: choosing
0: for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. This week we heard about how we need to stand up for truth in the evangelical church, but what's happening to the evangelicals? Well, this week we have a message called Just That, What is Happening to the Evangelicals by John Armstrong. Just visit the podcast page at mortificationofspin.org. We hope you'll check it out. And join us next week when the team has a quick conversation about
1: Further reflections on complementarianism. Mm. We rarely ever write or speak about this topic. (laughs) And uh, when we do, we never stir up any forms of controversy or, as you would say, over the Controversy, yes. yes. We've uh, received no hate mail. And so if you don't have anything
3: to do after this, you may want to send us some hate mail.
1: Yeah, a number of aspiring top men, I think, have uh, chipped in on this Absolutely. Uh, Not the top top men, but the aspiring top men who are always
0: the, the most dangerous. Come back for that next time. And in the meantime, head over to mortificationofspin.org to read, comment, and subscribe to the blog and to listen to what is happening to the evangelicals.
2: I don't need these headphones
1: no you, they just look cool you know? yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like whenever I'm you really have a doctor on the master. television they've always got a stethoscope yeah. and a white coat makes them look that much more competent and
0: mm. yeah